Well, this morning we start the fruits. So we were like, finally, let's get on with this. <laughs> Open your Bibles up to, well, you can pick. Some of you can pick 1 Corinthians 13. Some of you can pick 1 John 4. I'll let you decide, whatever you want to pick. Uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we go to the Word now, I pray you'd open up our minds to receive what you have for us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. There was a woman who was very unhappy in her marriage, and she wanted to get a divorce. So she went and she saw a divorce lawyer. And she said to the divorce lawyer, I know I not only want to get rid of him, but I want to get even. Before I divorce him, I want to hurt him as much as he's hurt me. Now the divorce lawyer, knowing that she had a rich husband, suggested an ingenious plan. He said, go home and act as if you really loved your husband. But, I mean, instead of just feelings of love, Pursue his highest good. Be overly attentive to his every needs. Tell him how much he means to you. Praise him for his every decent trait. Go out of your way to be kind and considerate and generous as possible. Spare no efforts to please him and enjoy him. Make him believe that you love him. And after you have convinced him of your undying love, then drop the bomb. Then leave with your bags packs, and then you will hurt him with the greatest hurt. She smiled and she sounded, oh, beautiful, beautiful. Oh, will he ever be surprised? I am going to do this with enthusiasm. Thank you so much. I'll be calling you in a couple of months. She went home acting as if she really loved him. And for two months, she showed love and kindness listening and giving, reinforcing and sharing. The lawyer couldn't wait to get the job. It was going to be a big payoff. And all this uh, good, uh, good vibes that she's giving to her husband is only going to go a long way with the judge, he thought to himself. He waited by the phone. And he waited. Two months went by, and he waited and waited and waited and waited and he wasn't getting a phone call so finally in his impatience he called her and said hey it's been a couple of months are you ready to go through the divorce now she said divorce him never i discovered i really do love him her actions had changed her feelings chosen motion resulted in changed emotion and she said, we have a deeper love now than when we first got married. I guess just one of us had to make the first move. So often in a standoff, and this could be between spouses, a husband or wife, could be between sisters and brothers, could be between boss and coworkers, could be between any two human beings when there's conflict and there's temptation to act in a not loving way. Often, the question on the table is, who is going to be the one to make the first move? To bring the reconciliation. To perhaps take their relationship into a level and a way of loving that you've never experienced before. We've never experienced before. Love, if you read Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, I don't, I'm not going to put it on the screen because we're going to be going through it over the next nine weeks. You're going to know this verse very well. 
But Paul says the fruits of the Spirit is, and he begins with love. He begins with love on reason because everything else that God does in our life is predicated on his love being in our heart. I remember uh, I wasn't a Christian always, and I didn't become a Christian until I was a young man. And before that, I struggled with a lot of anger, a lot of violence, uh, uh, just a lot of lostness and confusion, I, fits of rage, and all of those kinds of things. And I know why I had all of those, but I would say the first miracle that I ever experienced is when I went to the missionary pastor and I said, you know what, I'd like to receive Jesus Christ. I'd like to become a Christian. Will you pray for me when he did? I walked home that morning and I felt completely unchanged. Some of you are going, wait a minute, I didn't think he was going to go there with that. That was not what I thought he was going to say. I didn't. Until I woke up the next morning. I don't know, something about sleep. God does things in my sleep for me. I don't know, that's the way he works with me. I woke up the next morning and there was a miracle in there. It was as if all of the hate and anger and hatred and fits of rage had been cut out and replaced was i guess love but i didn't even really know what it was at first but i know it wasn't hate i know it wasn't fear it was just that miracle that when i finally humbled myself enough to say god i really believe you and i'm really gonna trust you that first miracle for me is i know i woke up that morning a new creation something was different something has changed and that's something i now know 24 years later is there was a deposit of love into my heart from the holy spirit amen i hope that many of you have experienced that but if you have not by the end of the service today i want to give you the chance to experience that and again you may go home thinking man i don't know if i feel very changed but you'll wake up the next day and the day after that and the day after that and the day after that when the holy spirit is in your heart he's doing stuff but he, he's okay with doing stuff daily. He doesn't have to get it all done in a day. You know what I mean? Amen. <clears throat> As we go over these fruits, I'm in no way trying to bully you into living righteously or feeling guilty when you fail and don't measure up. In fact, I am not qualified to do that, nor am I qualified to be your judge. I'm also not trying to preach what you ought to do because our efforts to produce the fruits of the Spirit on our own will only result in a heap of frustration or pride. I'm not teaching on these fruits as a, well, I ought to go home and do this. I'm teaching on this as a, I ought to go home and ask God to do this in me and continue to be connected in Him so that He will. If you could describe God in one word, I always ask my radio people this, my radio guests, if you could describe Christianity in one word, what would it be and why? I always say love. It is the one word to which everything else is attached to. It is the hub through which every spoke is connected to. Everything God is, is love. Everything God does, is love. Everything God thinks, is love. Even in his anger, it's love. Even in his sufferings, it's love. Even in the halls of God's throne room, it's love. Creating the universe, it's love. Creating a human being, it's love. When you die and you enter heaven, you will be surrounded by an atmosphere filled with love. 
It will fill every molecule. It will fill every drop of water, every leaf of a tree. Every soul you find there will not just have love. They will be completely consumed and overcome by God's love. That's why when people die and go to heaven, they don't want to come back because we live in a world that has fear. And you feel it. You just have to step outside your front door and start driving around town, and there's lots to be afraid of. Imagine that is completely removed, and all you have is love. That is heaven. That's why I don't want you to waste another moment being on the fence with Jesus. Because through Jesus, we get forever love. And I want you to have that. I'm not qualified to judge you, nor am I trying to bully you into some sort of modified ethics. God's love is something that starts here and comes out of us, not something we think about and try to do. Does that make sense? All right. Because too often today, Love seems to be too much like a feeling. If I don't have a warm, fuzzy feeling about someone or something, then I must not love them. How many of you ever thought that? I don't have warm feelings for you, so I don't love you. Huh, you know, be married for any length of time, and you are going to have moments, some of you more than others, some of you plenty of them, where you look at the other person and say, I don't have warm, fuzzy feelings for you right now. That doesn't mean you don't love them. In fact, the fact that you continue to stay with them means that you love them more. That you love them despite your feelings. Love so much today is wrapped in emotions. And then our emotions drive our decisions. But God's kind of love is beyond feelings. The definition of love is simply this. Choosing to act for another's highest good. Say that with me. Choosing to act for another's highest good that's love choosing to act for another's highest good for god so loved the world what was he doing he was choosing to act for our highest good so that we could have our sins forgiven he forgave our highest good was we need to live with peace not shame and he taught because our highest good is to be informed of the truth not live in deception everything God has done for us in us and through us is through love him choosing to act for our highest good had God not given he would not love love is active not passive and I know you know people always say well Tom I can feel it when I'm not loved so obviously yes there's a dimension of love that's based on feelings and emotions you can feel it when you're not loved, but I would say that's a very small dimension if you really want to wrap yourself around what love is. It's love does. Love does stuff. Love chooses to act for another person's highest good despite feelings, despite emotions, despite all this other, despite every reason you may have not to love. You overcome that and continue to love. Love is not passive. Love is aggressive. Love is, you know what, I don't feel like doing this. I'm so mad at her right now. I just want to walk away. I am going to do it, and you do it. You may not always feel like it, but you do it. Because love isn't dictated by our feelings. 
Because if it was, I could, could say, you know what? I don't feel love toward you right now, so, but I really feel love toward this other woman. I am falling in love, so now I'm going to go love her now, and I'm going to go love her and her and her and her, and pretty soon you can just be like a ping pong ball bouncing all against the walls. God says, that's not love. That's emotion. Love supersedes all of that as we choose to act according to someone's highest good. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13. This is a, a, a passage that I read often at weddings. I think almost every wedding has wanted me to read this with the exception of a few. Beginning in verse four, it says, love is patient and kind. It does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing. It rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. Love never fails. And love never ends. This is not a list of feelings. This is a list of actions. They're adverbs. Adverbs modify a verb. They're, they're actions. When it comes to God's love, at least according to God, the issue is really not our own comfort or our pleasure or displeasure, but it's the other person's highest good. And likewise, when we see abuse or addiction or assault and we do nothing about it, that's not love. I don't, I don't know where... We as Christians got this thought, love means you always have to be nice. Now you can do things in a nice way, but sometimes the loving thing to do is to stand up for what's right, is to draw boundaries, is to say, you know what, we're not joining this crazy train, is to say, I'm not gonna get involved in a codependent relationship. Sometimes love is going to look very different than all the fluffy feelings that we associate with it. Because nowhere in here do I see love as fluffy. No, nothing. It's patient. Patience can be grueling. It's kind. All right, kind's kind of fluffy. Uh, does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. I mean, it does not insist on its own way. Paul's getting down to the nitty-gritty here. He's saying, love the way God's love. Love the way God loves. And when you do, it'll only do you good. It'll only do you good. He's not saying love the way God loves because you ought to. He's saying if you love in this way, it will never fail you. You can't fight love. You can't conquer love. You can't control love. You don't need to be afraid of love. It, all, of the, all of the muck of humanity on earth God's love just washes it clean. It cannot be conquered. Paul's saying, walk in this way and you will not fail. You'll not fail in life. You'll not fail in love. You'll not fail as a father. You'll not fail as a husband. You'll not fail as a son. You'll not fail as a worker. You'll not fail. You will not fail. That's what Paul is getting at. Uh, but actually, we're going to go to 1 John 4 because he has some more to say on this, and I think it's important. In 1 John 4, chapter, verse 7, 
He says, dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. Verse 18, there is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. What is the main point? Human-based love is often conditional. I scratch your back, but only if you scratch my back. I trust you this far. You got to trust me this far. It's very conditional. I will love you, but this is what I need in return. It's a conditional-based love. Now, don't feel bad if this is the way you love. To our dying breath, we who live here on earth, we will always struggle with that. We will. I'm not here to judge you. I'm not, here to, to, I'm not qualified to be your judge. So just get that on. There, there's a degree where we will always react based on the fact that I'm loving this person, and they didn't meet the conditions of my love. Okay, we will have that to our dying breath. Fight that, but we will have that. John wants to open our eyes to real love, to true love, the love that you will spend eternity with. Because he says here, God's love is unconditional based on his free choice to love us. Nothing more, nothing less. You've never been free until you've been free to love, a love that is free from fear. And the example that God left us is the example that the devil has been attacking since day one. And that is marriage. In theory, when you get married, you should never have to fear the other person, right? Marriage is supposed to be for life. We commit to love for life. In sickness and in for richer or for? For richer or for? Say it loud. (laughs) And yet, we only have to take one look at our world today and know that that is being attacked with everything that is in the devil's arsenal. So we as a people, we're not idiots. We look and say, if marriage, which is one of the highest forms of human love we ever experience, is being attacked, where it's 50-50 whether your marriage will make it, we learn very quickly, we can't love the way God loves because people are going to fail us. And here is what John is saying to that. Yes, God left that example because the highest form of love that unconditional love is not a love that is without wisdom or without boundaries. It's a love that simply says this, what is the highest good in this situation according to God? And whatever it is, that's the way I'm gonna choose because that's the path of blessing. Amen? I'm not trying to bring a downer here, but there's the truth to that is simply that. 
that we've never been free to love until we've been free from fear. Uh, you know, when you don't feel loved or accepted or worth anything, it's pretty hard to give love. Uh, I was talking to Bud uh, this week, and he t- said, told, told a story of one of the kids at Challenger Youth Prison. Did I say that right? Youth Prison, Youth Detention Center, something like that. And, uh, and he, he came up and he said to Bud, where in the Bible does it say that I am worth anything to God? And his question was very specific. Where in the Bible does it say I am worth anything? And of course, you could, you could put, put out a bunch of script. Well, God, for God so loved the word, da, da, da. But actually, the scripture that Bud told him, I think, was amazing. He said, Jesus said in the sixth chapter of Matthew that God's eye is even on the sparrow. And if sparrows, which are sold for a penny, receive God's love and attention, how much more are you worth it to God? What is God saying? You are worth my son to me. That's how much I love you. You are worth Jesus to God. You are worth Jesus for God. Some of you, you're like, Tom, you could say that a hundred times. I still won't believe it. And you know what? I'll say it 10,000 times. I'll be in your bedroom. I'll be in your bathroom. I'll be in your living room. I'll knock on your door. I'll say it however many times it gets us to finally have that sink in. We are worth it to God. He loves us. And everything he does is for our highest good. You may be going through a rough time in life. God still loves you. Whatever you're going through, you've got to see that there is a highest good principle at stake that God is working and moving in your life. Now, I've also get this too. I had a kid, oh, it was a few years ago, actually it was about 15, 20 years ago. He came up to me and he said, I'm an atheist. I saw a man. I was too once. Let's have a talk. And so uh, we're sitting down. Actually, usually I don't do this, but I took this one out uh, to like Taco Bell or somewhere. So I wanted to have a good conversation. And he said, yeah, I'm an atheist. I said, why do you say? He said, well, you guys say God's a God of love. But then all you have to do is read history and realize God is not a God of love. I mean, the Holocaust? Come on. What kind of God lets his own people, six million of them, get killed in the Holocaust? You're telling me, Pastor Tom, that when that guard went to pull the trigger, that God couldn't have stopped his finger or snapped his finger and just killed that guard dead on straight and have all those people go away? I remember I was scratching my head going, oh, boy, that's a good question. That's, I mean, that's a good one, isn't it? I remember thinking to myself, I said, you know what? I can't answer that today, but I will have an answer for it. I'm kind of, you know, I went home. I'm stewing on it. Yeah, you know, there is evil in the world. Yeah, there is pain and suffering in the world. Yeah, there are nations doing to nations horrible things killing each other and enslaving each other and taking advantage of each other there is yuck on earth and yeah there and god's a god of love and there's all this muck on earth how do we resolve the two i knew god was loving but i also knew deep down he didn't run the world like that controlling our every move so that we made the right choices and when i really thought about it it's actually because of his love that he doesn't control our every move, including the trigger on the gun that's going to commit murder. You cannot have love 
if you do not have choice. You cannot have love if you are not free to make the choice. Robots who are programmed to love do not actually love because it's not their choice to love. They are programmed merely to comply. You can only love when out of your own heart you make the choice to love. God's goal for us is to choose to love him and to experience his love, not simply comply with his wishes. If God wanted beings that would simply comply, he would have made robots, not human beings. God is not a slave master. He makes the offer for us to choose him. But we cannot have the offer to choose to love God if we also don't have the choice to choose against God any other way and it would not be love it would be compulsion listen to me to love is to free not control not manipulate not coerce not bribe not blackmail not steal To love is to free, not control. God's highest love will always be something that is free. Free free for us to receive. Free for us to give. What is the reward of God's love? Well, first of all, love frees us from fear so that we can act with the other fruits. All the rest of the fruits we're going through, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faith, all those other fruits are going to be going out over the next nine weeks is all dependent upon love. Why? Because perfect love drives out all of our fear-based motives. Secondly, love heals our emotional blindness so that we can see our relationships clearly. When all of a sudden God's love begins to flood into us, it's amazing how you begin to see things, you know? Sometimes I can get really deceived into thinking I'm right. And I go and I pray about it, and God all of a sudden opens my eyes. I go, oh my goodness, I am a jerk. Oh my goodness, you know? I like get so happy that I see that because I would rather see it and know it and correct it than be blind to it and walk around and I'm a jerk to everybody, Right? I'd rather have love show me where I need to grow and improve. Third thing, love gives us the strength not to quit so that we are not ruled by our emotions. I told you a few weeks ago about one of the pastors who had said, you know, I'm done. I just want to move to Hawaii and never talk to another soul again. And it was the 70, you know, Foursquare has these mentors. It was the 75-year-old guy, full of wisdom. He prayed for him and he said, son, he said, your people have earned the right to keep you. I don't think you should go. I think you're going because you're struggling with something that you're not letting God deal with. But don't, if you just run because of your emotions now, You'll be following your feelings for the rest of your life. And if you follow your feelings for the rest of your life, at the end of your life, what will the result will be? Bouts of anger, bouts of addiction, bouts of happiness, 
bouts of depression, bouts of sadness, all these flitty emotions. You'll look back and say, I didn't have a life. I, I lived a roller coaster. Your people have earned the right for you to stay. You should stay. And he did. I love it when people receive good advice and they follow it. Because I so rarely see that. You know, so it's like, he did. <laughs> Number four, love connects us to God our Father. You know, I was trying to figure out the reward of that. Until I thought to myself, that is a reward right there. Love connecting us to God is a reward in and of itself. When we choose to love, we choose to do what God would do. And as we choose to do what God would do, we experience his presence in our lives. Amen? All right, a couple of things to take home. First of all, ask God to grow his definition of love in you. Again, I was talking to Bud this week. He had a funny story. Not really funny, but I think something we can all relate to. Well, maybe you can't because you don't live in L.A., but he lived in L.A., and he can relate to it. He was driving on the, what was it, the 10? The 101. And that's a busy, that's a busy road, right? So I'm going to make sure I get this story right. So he said, oh, yeah. Okay, so the 101, very busy road. And he's a fireman. He's got to get to the station, right? He's on the 101, and all of a sudden, it is like gridlock. He can't move. And he sees up ahead that there's an accident that took place. And now he's stuck in traffic. And he is getting mad and angry at this accident. You ever have that happen? Oh, you stupid people. Why couldn't you drive right? Why'd you have to hit each other? Why'd you have to ruin thousands of people's day? What's the matter with you? Come on, some of you are going, yeah, you're speaking my language. Keep going, keep going. That's what was going on in Bud, if you can believe it. (laughs) And in that moment, he said, I felt the Holy Spirit speak to me and say this. Bud, you don't love like I love. And in that moment, he began to realize somebody could be fatally hurt in that car accident. Somebody could be on their last moments of life. And here he is complaining because he's going to be a few minutes late to work. And somebody could be on the street dying right there. It's true. We don't love like God loves. Not naturally. That's why we need to ask him, God, God, place in me your definition of love so that I may love as you love, so that I'm not cursing out somebody who could be dying on the side of the road. Second thing, decide to do love despite your feelings. One of the first uh, real Hollywood female symbols was Marilyn Monroe. And uh, she has an interesting story because she was raised in foster care. Back when foster care was just getting started. And her parents had died when she was very young. And she went through numerous foster homes. And unfortunately, when she was 18... She was sent out into the world because she no longer qualified for foster care. Well, many of you know the story. She was discovered at 19 and, and uh, you know, as, a, as a sort of a, a beautiful actress and starred in movies, although they never really gave her a character of substance. She was just meant to look pretty. 
She was married and divorced three times. And at the age of 35, she went into her room and she had taken a whole bunch of pills to commit suicide. After she had taken them, she had thought to herself, I don't know if I really am ready to die. And so she picks up the phone and she calls a fellow actor. And she says, I have just, what did she say? Because I wrote it down. She said, I have just taken all these pills and they're going to kill me. And you know what the person on the other end of the line said? Trying to be funny? Remember Gone with the Wind? Frankly, my dear, I don't give a rip. Edited for church, obviously. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a rip. When the cops arrived, they saw her deceased on the floor, but they also noticed that the phone was off the hook. So they had ways back then to figure out what the last phone call was, and they went and they knocked, and they said, hey, uh, we think you're the last person to talk to Marilyn Monroe when she was alive. He goes, she's dead? They said, yeah. And he said, you know what? I was so annoyed. She is always looking for attention. She's always doing things for attention. Yes, she called me last night, and I blew it off. I kind of get that sometimes. I get that. I, I'm not saying what the guy was did was right, but sometimes you can have people in your life that just over and over and over want are hungry for attention, and then you just have that moment where you're like, go away, disappear. What is that? It's an emotion, isn't it? It's an emotion that guides and dictates our love. And God is saying, don't do love out of those emotions. Because, yeah, there are people crying for attention. Because who knows? Perhaps nobody in their life has ever lived or acted toward them for their highest good. Decide to do love despite your feelings. Third thing, give love. Don't take it. Give love. Don't take it. I remember early on, I had one of my, when I first came to the last church I was at, I was in my my late 20s, and they didn't really allow guys in their late 20s to do marriage counseling. And and I understood that. They said, you need like 10 to 20 to 30 years under your belt before you even have a clue what it's like to be married. I had about six or seven, and I made the case that I think I should be able to start doing this. You know, I don't know if they're, maybe they're short on people, but uh, they they gave a few to me. And I remember I had this couple in, in my office, and, and they're all fighting. And I'm like, I'm like, I am going to fix them, you know. And so I'm like going through all my training, and I'm doing all this and that, and I can see the heart change, you know. And, and all of a sudden, you know, she she looks at her husband, and she goes, you know, I just can't live without you. And she just rushes, you know, and, and puts her arms around him. And he, he's, oh, honey, I couldn't live without you either. I couldn't live without you either. And I'm sitting back going, yeah, pastor of the year, yeah. I'm like, we should open the door and let the whole office see what I have just done, you know. I mean, I'm just like shooting and scooting, and I'm feeling like I'm God's greatest gift of marriage counseling, you know. 
In the years since then, I've thought about that. I couldn't live without you. If you really think about it, it's kind of a sick thing to say. I, I know maybe that was exaggerated for effect. But I think in a small way we do that. We do that to our spouses. We do that to people. We recognize that they have power. They recognize there's something special about them that's not in us. And so we, we try to take it from them because we want what they got. That's taking love. That's not giving love. Even in a marriage, you should be able to live without them. Once you put that kind of pressure on somebody, that's no longer love. It's manipulation, isn't it? I can't leave her because she can't live without me. Well, you shouldn't leave her, but that shouldn't be your reason for not leaving her. I can't leave him. He can't live without me. Well, you shouldn't leave him, but that shouldn't be your reason for not leaving Because love is something that is given, not something that is taken. And then finally, number four, don't give up when things get hard. You know, one of the hardest passages of Scripture for me to read has always been the passage where Jesus is on the cross. Because here's the thing. They don't just crucify Jesus. While he's on the cross, they do something horrible to him. They don't whip him or anything like that. But what they do is they say, Jesus, if you are the Son of God, then come down from that cross and prove it. And I'm telling you right now, when you've got nails that have split your wrist bones and have been driven into your feet, when you've just been whipped beyond all belief and you've got these two-inch thorns sticking into your skull, you're bleeding like there's no tomorrow and every pain nerve is firing a thousand times a minute and you hear Jesus all you have to do is come down from that cross show yourself prove yourself let's see if you are who you say you are come down from there and it'll all be over and I think to myself thank God that God's love is not based on emotions because if it was, I think Jesus would have flew off that cross and fried half of humanity. It was his love that kept him on the cross. Because if he didn't stay there, we wouldn't be here. And if we weren't here, we would never get there. So let's go home and not try to ethically change ourselves. All I'm asking you to do when you go home is say, God, help me to love like you love, choosing to act for another's highest good. Amen?